a message. And I said this is um, this is a youth Sunday, and I will tell you that one of the things I love about this church, I, there are many things I love about this church. One of the things I love about this church is you guys are so willing to just try things, right? That, that you have ideas and things to do, and, and you're all along for the ride, and yeah, let's try it, let's do it. So I have tried my hardest to make these youth Sundays a little more interactive than normally would happen, and that's okay. You can play along as we go through this, and this Sunday will be no exception to that. I'm not going to call anyone up front. There's not anything like that. What you do today, you do from where you're sitting. It's all that. And it's for the youth, but you know what? This is an all-play that I think we can all be a part of this as we go through that. I'm wondering who's ever been to an escape room before? You know what that is. Sorry, a handful of people have been to an escape room. If you know what an escape room is, uh, it's one of these places you go, and I think these have only been sort of popular maybe the last 10 years or so. An escape room is a place where you go, and you go with a group, and they put you in this room that's all decorated by a certain theme, and then they lock you in. And as a group, what you have to do is you have to look at everything in the room there, and you have to start finding and solving clues that help get you out of the room. And sometimes these are clues that, you know, they're, the things in the room will have locked cabinets or uh, boxes with padlocks on them, and you have to solve clues to either find the keys hidden in the room or find the combination that opens the lock, and sometimes you're actually finding a key that opens another door that's not the door out, but a door to a whole other room that has more clues in it, and it goes on and on that way. And sometimes people play this as a way of, you know, you've got a time limit, you've got a countdown, and you've got to solve all the clues to get your team out of the escape room before time runs out. Or sometimes people do this just to try to set the record for best time, that we're going to solve and get out of this faster than anyone else has done it. That's sort of what an escape room is. I've had a chance to do this a couple of times with different groups, and one of those times I think was even with a group here from this church that we did that. And we didn't set the record high, but we had fun, is how that goes. That's what an escape room is about. So I want to follow a little bit of that today. And this passage is a passage that sort of plays into an idea that maybe comes across a little bit as an escape room. So this comes from Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read uh, starting at verse 12, and then we'll figure out how escape Philippians 2, starting at verse 12, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering and a sacrifice in service, Coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice 
with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that verse feel a little bit like an escape room? Like there's something we've got to do now and figure out now and work out now in order to have a salvation? That maybe the world in itself is something of an escape room and we've got to figure out how to get out of it? I don't think that's what Paul means by this. I think there's something completely different going on here. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, this passage is going to be our escape room today. This is... Um, sermon is an escape room, right? You are not getting out of this sermon until you solve the clues. And I'm going to give you clues, all right? It's a little interactive, but if you're going to get out of this sermon today, you better be ready to solve some clues that find their way out of this, all right? First of all, so here's what I did. I highlighted a few words in this verse that maybe give us a little bit of trouble that need a certain amount of unlocking to figure out in how this works. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's work on that first one, right? Job number one here. Uh, it's the Greek word tetragrammai. And if you know or understand Greek, you know what? I'll help you out a little bit. I'll give you the transliteration. But what I need to know is, so this is the word that shows up as work out in this passage. But what does it really mean? All right, maybe you, um, maybe in the past, parents tell you don't, don't use your phone in church. I'm breaking that rule today. Take your phone out. You can do that, okay? You guys are Google savvy. You know what goes on here. Uh, and this is an all play. Right? Anyone can do this. But help me out. What does this Greek word, ketergazomai, mean? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a conjunction of a couple of words. In Greek, kater is a preposition. It's a preposition that means down. It's an emphasis word. But together there, it means a little something specific. Because I think, here's what happens when we think about this verse. Work out your salvation. And sometimes we think about that in ways where whenever you see work and salvation next to each other, that makes us a little bit antsy, right? That I thought the message of the Bible was that we are saved by grace. After all, Paul in Ephesians 2 says, you are saved by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast. So why would Paul, in another letter in Philippians, talk about working salvation? Maybe there's something more underneath this, besides just what we maybe think of as work. Okay? Anyone? Does anyone have, give me some ideas here. What else does tetragrammai mean? To perform. To perform. Okay, someone's looking it up. Here we go. You're not 
that's wrong that in many contexts that refers to to accomplish, to perform. You're exactly right about that. And that's in certain situations, particularly when that word shows up as being past tense, like something that's already done, or present tense. It's right now. Then it's that. But there are these rare instances in the Bible where that word actually shows up as something not that's accomplished, but it's ongoing, that it's continuing. After all, verse 12, it begins with that word, right? Continue to work out your salvation. It's a continuing thing. So what does that word mean when it's continuing? There's another definition out there. Anyone? Has anyone figured this out? I'm sorry, what? Practice. Practice? Uh, yep, keep looking, though. I mean, I, I, let, I put the clue in here. Did that code work? Did it pull up something up? Cultivate land. Cultivate land? <laughs> All right, you're on it. Yes, that, that word has a dreadful mind. I mean, it means on the one hand, yep, you're right. Most of the time it means to accomplish something or to complete something. But there's also this meaning that you find in the Bible where it means to cultivate or to prepare. All right, I did a little Greek map on this one. And most of the time you can see where it is either past tense or present tense. Yeah, it means to accomplish something. But then I called out that little piece where there's these handful of times in the Bible where it, it means and it refers to a continuing action, an action that's still going on. And in those contexts, it really carries the meaning of cultivating, that there's something being cultivated. And, and literally, you're right, it, it refers to soil. Right? It's a farming term, to plow, to dig up, to till the soil. Cultivate in that way. I think that's what Paul is after in this passage, that he's using this word in the continuing and ongoing sense, that when he talks about this piece of working out or continuing to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think what he's actually meaning is to literally cultivate. I think that's a better word to put in there so that it makes sense for what we understand. Continue to cultivate your salvation. Because we understand what salvation is, that Christ accomplished salvation for us, that our salvation is already complete because of what Jesus has done on the cross. But I think what Paul is telling us here is even though Jesus has accomplished your salvation, you can still cultivate that. You can till the soil of your soul so that the salvation that has been planted in you can grow. So that you can take steps forward in that. Understand what that means by cultivate. All right, you're catching on. You've unlocked one, right? We've got that first one. We've got two more up here for us to work through. So cultivate your salvation. <clears throat> so job number two here uh, has to do with salvation. And I'm going to say that salvation, first of all, is, is bigger than individual justification. Now, Paul, when he writes in the New Testament, he uses both of these terms. And 
Our English Bibles translate them separately that way. You can find several examples in the New Testament where Paul talks about justification. Justification that Jesus died on the cross so that our souls may be made right with God. The guilt of our sin is taken away. The righteousness of Christ is given to us in its place. That is individual justification. Sometimes I wonder, though, if for us, for many of us, sometimes we think that's what salvation is and only what salvation is. Now, I don't want to lead you in the wrong direction. That is part of salvation, right? Part of what it means to be saved is that we are made right with God by being individually justified before him. That those who turn to God in faith accept that and believe in that. That individual justification is part of our salvation. But when Paul talks about individual justification, he uses the word justified. Whenever Paul uses the word saved or salvation, I think Paul means something bigger. Bigger than that. Let me put a few symbols up here. Do you know what these symbols are? Well, it's, it, it's, I'll, I'll transliterate it for you again. Those are Hebrew letters. And they're transliterated here as what those Hebrew letters have the English equivalent of meaning. Does anyone figure that one out? What does it mean for us to have salvation? Include something a little bit bigger than just individual justification. But maybe God is up to something more. That we are redeemed as people of God to be a part of some bigger redemption. Some bigger restoration. Does anyone know what that one means? Shalom. Yeah? Do you see it? Well, maybe what we have to remember, because this is Hebrew, right? And the Hebrew language is a language that, unlike English, you read from right to left. Not from left to right, like we normally do. So even though I literally transliterated the letters up here in order for it to be Hebrew, you have to read it from right to left. So somebody out there got it, probably knows their Hebrew, understood it right away. Right? Shalom. Um, I talk about this a lot in sermons and in messages. This, this is for me, this is on my top five list of themes of the Bible that should not be missed. That shalom is on that. So salvation then, salvation is the complete restoration of shalom. Now, individual justification is part of that. An important part of that, part of that you can't skip or leave out. That we are all justified by Christ because of his sacrifice on the cross. But we are justified by Christ by his sacrifice on the cross to be a part of God's bigger restoration of shalom. I always define shalom, even though it shows up in the Bible as being the English word peace, I always define shalom as thriving or flourishing. That's what shalom means. That God is 
of restoring everything in his creation to thrive and to flourish the way that he created and intended for it to do. The way that he made for it to be. So we are people who are saved within that. Within God's bigger plan and his bigger purpose and his bigger goal to restore this creation to being what it is intended to be. All right, so we'll take that as unlocking another one. That this verse will say it means to continue to cultivate shalom with fear and trembling. Paul is down to something here. He's telling us what to do. What it means to work out your salvation. Well, Paul is telling us, you know, what we are to be doing as people of God is that we are to be continuing this work of cultivating that restoration of shalom in this world, the way that God intends for it to be, that we are saved for that, to be those people and to do that. And then to do that with fear and trembling. Now, this one's a bit odd, like we're scared, like we're afraid of something. That's what those words sort of bring to mind. So let me give you the next job here, the last one. It's job number 0211-13. To figure out what fear and trembling is all about. Now, I mean, this is a word that shows up in the Old Testament a lot as well, right? The fear of the Lord, that God has called his people to walk in the fear of the Lord. And, and that doesn't mean, in the Old Testament sense, it doesn't mean to be scared of God. But we understand that to be more about reverence and respect, that fear and trembling is more about being in awe of who God is with reverence and respect for God. And it shows up that way. In fact, in the passage that we read today, it shows up that way because it says in verse 13 that it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That this cultivating of shalom that we're called to do and be as part of God's people is something in which God himself is working in us and through us to work towards that. So in some sense, Paul is talking here about a reverence and respect for God because it is actually God who's working through us, through his people. But I think Paul has something a little bit more in mind. It's not only, it's not limited to reverence and respect for God, but it also shows a reverence and a respect for something else that's in this passage as well. Has anyone figured out what job number 0211-13 is? Anyone? Oh, here, you got it. Job 2, 11 through 13. elsewhere in scripture that can give us a little clue towards this. Here's what it says in Job 2, 11 through 13. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nabathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and 
sprinkled dust on his head. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Something about friends coming together in that way. That Job, when Job had all these troubles come upon him, three of his friends answered. Three friends that they said, we've got to come to him. We've got to be with him. We've got to support him. And, and for a time, they didn't even know what to say except just to be there, to show up. Because their friendship with Job meant that much. And they weren't going to walk out on him or get needles to feed. There's something of a reverence and respect for one another that they had. That it's because they had such reverence and respect for their friend that they said, we're not going to leave them all alone in this. But there needs to be a togetherness that comes around Job any time that he can figure out what that looks like for him. I think Paul is nodding in that direction in this passage. Right? So verse 12 we read and then verse 13 where it talks about God working through us that reverence and respect. But then he goes on in verse 14, Paul says, and do everything without grumbling or complaining together, you as a group, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That warped and crooked generation is a, is a reference to Old Testament, a reference to the Israelites who wandered in the desert for 40 years. But then, you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Paul is saying this, I want you to live together with a reverence and respect for each other. That you are people of God who are made in the image of God and you bear the image of God in who you are. And that's worth something. And it means the way that you treat each other shows that reverence and that respect how you work together as a community. So what Paul particularly tells these people in Philippi is stop arguing. Stop grumbling and complaining. Stop dividing yourselves over silly and ridiculous issues. But be together as people of God. It takes a reverence and respect for one another to do that. Paul also spins it in the positive sense. He moves forward too. That he not only talks about the reverence and respect that he have that we have for one another in something where you don't grumble, don't complain, don't argue, but he also talks about it in that last verse as something that brings joy. I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should rejoice with me. That this and trembling is really an instruction or a call to have reverence and respect. A reverence and respect for God and for one another. Alright, you've unlocked all of them there. That this verse about what maybe looks at first glance like an escape room. 
that maybe the job of a Christian is just to find a way to get out of this world and make it out. It's actually a call to be something very much in this world, very much a part of who we are. That Paul is telling the church, the people in Philippi, I want you to keep cultivating this restoration of shalom with a reverence and a respect for God and for each other. And I want you to do that in ways that stops tearing each other down, but rather builds each other up. Finds a way to do that. So, let me leave us with a challenge on that then, okay? A challenge of, what do we take away from this? Maybe just take away this one thing. What can I do this week to take one step forward in being a part of a community of God's people? To be part of a community of God's people. Now, maybe you normally think of that, well, to be a part of a community of God's people, well, that means I go to church, or I, I show up at a Bible study, something like that. Let's, let's keep this together with this verse from Philippians 12. Because what I really want us to see as being a part of a community is to be a part of a community that continues to cultivate the restoration of shalom with reference and respect for God and for one another. So if you need a place to point that, if you need a place for that one step to take place, here's what I want you to do. Think of one person in your life, one relationship where, you know what, let's just admit it. There's a person in my life that I tend to grumble about, that I tend to argue with, that I tend to complain about. I mean, we're all people, broken, sinful people. We can all, I'm sure, come up with at least one person in our life we saw like that. Maybe you have a whole list of people in your life like that. Think one. One person in your life who, you know, when it comes down to it, this is a person that I tend to argue with and complain about and grumble with. And then, is there something I can do this week? One thing I can do this week that instead of grumbling, instead of arguing, instead of complaining, I can bring a piece of joy, a rejoicing into that. A word of encouragement, a word of support, a word that builds up instead of tearing down that we would come together instead of being divisive. Think of just one, just one like that. That's all you need to do is just a step forward. Maybe you've got a whole list of people and you can do a whole lot more, but let's make this be a just a place to start to do that in your life this week. Because doing that, if you do that, if you take that one person and say, this week, instead of arguing, instead of complaining, instead of grumbling, I'm going to try to bring words of joy and encouragement and building. If you do that, then you are being a part of a community that cultivates the restoration of shalom with reverence and respect for God and for one another. I think that's what God is calling us to do in this passage. Not an escape room to get out. Not a puzzle to be solved, but just a word of encouragement and instruction for us as people of God to be a part of that community. 
But let me say for people here, if you've never been a part of that community, take that next step to be a part of that community. Even beyond just identifying that one person, be a part of God's community of the church. So one of the steps we do in our faith tradition here in the Christian Reformed Church for that is something we call profession of faith. If you've never made your profession of faith, but you know that God is calling you to be a person who's part of something bigger that cultivates the restoration of shalom. Think about that step then, too, of what it means to make profession of faith. A profession of faith that simply says, yep, I want to be a part of that community. Count me in. I want to be a part of people like that. I want to be in that group, in that community, in that church. I know a group of our seniors did profession of faith several months back in the fall. You don't have to be a senior. Right? All you have to do is feel that nudge of the spirit to say, I want in on that. I want to be a part of that group. So if that's nudging on your heart, as any of the students here talk to Bruce about, about that, right? take that next step forward in that, or anyone else here who hasn't made that step of profession of faith, talk to me or talk to Pastor Barb. We would love to give you information and help you understand what that next step looks like. For those here who maybe don't belong to a church, uh, you're, you're visiting or you're just bouncing around, but you're feeling the, you know what, being a part of a community like this is important. I want to be a part of that community. So for people here today who are maybe not members of a church anywhere, want to know what that's about, if you want to know what it's, what more of, it's like to be a member of this church. If you want to talk about being a member of this church, you can talk to me about that. Talk to Pastor Bob about that. We would love to help you through those next steps of joining a church and being a member of a church. Because this cultivation of shalom is something we do together. It's meant to be a community project, not just individuals all doing their own thing. But we do this together. That's why God established and nurtured this church, a community that does that together. So find a way to do that with one person this week. But also, if you've never found a way to be a part of a community together, find a way into that community that does that together too. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and what you tell us in your word about being your people. God, we're sorry for the times when maybe a verse like this out of Philippians has been kind of scary for us. We've thought about it in ways that maybe make us think about escaping. But help us to see instead the way that you call us to be your people in faith, working together for the restoration of shalom with reverence and respect to you and to one another. God, this is what you've called us to do. We know that it is a task before us that you are about the business of restoring the shalom of your world. So may we then, as your people, join in that task to see you bring that salvation. We pray this in the name of Jesus.